0: Today we start our new series going through the book of James together. The series is called Faith in the Fire, God's Plan for Your Pain. God does have a plan for your pain. You will encounter pain in this life. And as soon as hard times come your way, as soon as you find yourself uh, in the fire, you will ask the question, why? Why? Why has God allowed this to happen to me? Why has God allowed this to happen now? Why? Why is one of the big questions we ask as soon as we enter a trial. The other question is how? How am I supposed to get through this? How are we supposed to get through this? How is the person I care about supposed to make it? Why and how are two big questions we ask ourselves. Faith in the Fire, God's Plan for Your Pain. This study in the book of James will take us over 40 weeks to cover this entire book. There are several people mentioned in the book, like Rahab, like Abraham, like Job, uh, like Elijah, and we're going to spend time with each one of those people. They are going to encourage us as we go through hard times in this life. In the book of James, if you open there, the Bible gives us a metaphor to help us process why we would encounter such trials in this life. It says in James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It goes on in verse 12 to give us a promise. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. When it uses the word, the testing, the test, uh, more often than not in the New Testament uh, and in the Old, that applies to uh, a precious metal that is being refined in a furnace. It's being tested and proved and refined by fire. I have a video here of gold going through the process of being refined. Check this out. I'll just narrate it for you. There's no sound, but they start with all of this precious jewelry, this gold that they have collected from all over it. Wow, if they just went and sold that alone, it would be worth so much money. And what are they doing? They're pouring it into a furnace. You might ask yourself, why would anyone do that to something so valuable? Why would anyone take something so valuable and turn it into flaming liquid? It's because they know that if they put it through the fire, all of the impurities will rise out of the gold. If they put it through the fire, it will become something in the end which is far more valuable than what they started with. Do you know the value of a bar of gold today? It's it's upwards of about $469,000 if you get your hands on one of those purified bars of gold. Good luck. At the beginning, you're wondering, why are they massacring this value? It's because in the end, it's something that's more precious and more valuable. Your faith is the same to God. Why would God allow fire into your life? Why would he allow such pain, such hardship, such confusion? Because your faith is being refined, tested, It's becoming something more valuable than it was in the beginning. Psalm 12, 6 says, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. This is the way the Bible describes the value of God's word, and this is the way that the Bible describes the value of your faith. The truth is, flames make it better. What we're going to talk about today is who James is and why we should listen to him, and then what he basically says. This is an introductory week where we look across the whole book and we prepare ourselves for what's coming in the weeks ahead. So let's pray now and then we'll see what James has to tell us about trials. Father, I know that when we talk about pain, disappointment, heartbreak, we're talking to each person in this room. Whether it's the pain of the past that has never fully been dealt with or understood, whether it's the pain of right now, Whether the fire right now is hotter than ever, or whether you are getting us ready for whatever is right around the corner, we pray, O Lord, that you would soften our hearts to hear your fatherly love for us through this book. And we pray this in your name, amen. Okay, are you there? In the book of James, chapter 1, in verse 1, it says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know our author right away, he just says, James. There are a few Jameses in the New Testament. The fact that this one just throws out his first name, James, and this is a book written to any of the churches that could read it uh, in the first century. It means that if he's on a first name basis with the whole church, uh, he's probably the most well-known James in the Bible. Um, there are three basic options. James, the son of Zebedee, was the brother of John. James and John were the sons of thunder. The problem with uh, attributing this book to him is that James was martyred. He was the first uh, of the 12 to be martyred. So because that happened so early, we don't uh, think that, it's, uh, that he's the author of this book. James was one of the inner circle uh, apostles. And so the fact that uh, James the son of Zebedee's life was cut so short uh, shows that even those who Jesus welcomed into his inner circle were not spared from the trials of this life. James the son of Zebedee uh, isn't the author of this book James, the son of Alphaeus, or he's also called James the lesser or the younger, we don't know much about him. Uh, He he came up a few times in the New Testament, but um, it just doesn't seem like he's the one who's going to be on the first name basis with the whole church. So that leaves James, the son of Mary and Joseph, the half-brother of Jesus. We know a lot about him. He's mentioned in the book of Acts and in several of the epistles by the Apostle Paul. Uh, And so he's also mentioned uh, in the Gospels. And because of that, we feel like his central role in the church in Jerusalem means he's the author of this book, James. In Galatians 1.19, Paul mentions that James was the brother of the Lord Jesus. So after Jesus was born, uh, he was virgin born, then Mary and Joseph had several other uh, children. So Jesus had brothers and sisters, four brothers that we know of and a few sisters on top of that. James was one of them. In Matthew 13.55, we find that list of the younger brothers, um, and we also uh, find out that another one of Jesus' brothers, uh, who either has the name Jude or Judas, depending on where you read, wrote the book of Jude. So two of Jesus' biological half-brothers wrote books in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 15.7, we learn how James was probably converted. It mentions that Jesus appeared to his brother James after the resurrection, Jesus appeared in glory, that is likely when James was saved, because it says in the Bible that before that, the brothers did not believe Jesus. So there was a special resurrection appearance. Uh, Jesus appeared to 500 people at once, he appeared to the 12 at once, there were a handful of people who got a one-on-one, me and you, I am risen, you need to believe this. The Apostle Paul got it, Peter got it, and James got it wow our author has such a fascinating perspective on life he grew up with the lord he doubted him and then he was miraculously converted later in his life it's something else in galatians 2 9 paul refers to peter john and this james the brother of jesus as the pillars in the early church So James got it all and got to work and became a central figure in the church in Jerusalem, which was the mother of all the churches that were to come about. It all started in Jerusalem. We know some things about his personality. He seems to be more of a truth guy, less of a grace guy. He seems to be more of a straight shooter, more of a decider. He seemed to have the final word in some church councils that happened in the book of Acts. And his tone in his book is no nonsense. We can appreciate that. Because given his life with Jesus and his sight of the resurrected Lord, he's just kind of a, you don't get it, it's true, let's move together. That's his voice, that's his tone. In verse 1 it says, James, and then we learn of his faith, a servant of God. How many ways could he have described himself? It's pretty sweet to be the half-brother of Christ. I mean, he could have used that, right? You know who I am. You know who I am. I Think of the celebrity culture we live in today in the United States. And if boy, if you're a family member of a star, you could get your own TV show. And yet James humbles himself and says, I'm a servant. The word servant comes from words where we get the word deacon. It means table waiter. It means... I wait on you hand and foot. It says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. What is it like for James to take his brother's name and to add Lord at the beginning and Christ at the end? The Lord Jesus Christ. This is a man who has faith that his brother is so much more than he knew him to be. He came to faith in Christ Jesus He knew that Jesus was God's son, even though James was an earthly brother. Let's summarize the faith of James. What is it that he's preaching to us from the very beginning? Write this down. Number one, believe Jesus is the Lord of glory and your soul will be saved. James wants you to know that Jesus is the Lord of glory. And he wants you to believe this so your soul will be saved. Hey, this is... Very important for you to understand. If you're going through hard times in life, if you're wondering where God is, if you are under the weight and the burden, the pain of this world, and you don't know Christ as Savior, every single thing that's happening in your life is God's way of showing you, you need my son. There is no second thing he wants you to get from this trial. The point the purpose, the answer for the pain and the agony you have experienced in this life is you need my son to save you. God won't go to lesson number two until you get lesson number one. And if all of the hardship and heartache and betrayal of this life has not yet driven you to the foot of the cross where you asked Jesus to save you, you don't get the reason for why you suffer yet. God is shouting it loud and clear. You need my son. You need my son. You can't do it alone. And if in your pride you walk on to the next trial, God can't help you. You need his son first. James knows this. Believe Jesus is the Lord of glory and you'll be saved. What does James believe about Jesus? Well, look at verse 118. It says in verse 118 of God's, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James says that we get new life through the word of truth. And we know who that is. Jesus is the word of God. The word of truth is the truth about Jesus. New life comes from God's son. Look at verse 21. It says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is the portrait of people who are turning from their life of sin and receiving humbly the truth of Jesus. Why? Because it can save your souls. It goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 1, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith. In who? In our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he calls him. The Lord of glory. The Lord of glory. That is no earthly title. Some people will say, well, the Bible never says that Jesus was God. Yeah, one of the ways that we know the Bible claimed Jesus was God is when you take a title that was used of God and you put it on Jesus. That's one way we know the Bible called Jesus God. And Lord of glory is not a title befitting any mere human. Lord of glory is a divine title of heavenly praise and sovereignty. James knew that Jesus was God, the Son. And he knew we needed to have faith in this Son to be saved. It says in chapter 5, verse 9, if you skip ahead, chapter 5, verse 9, James gives a warning. He says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And in verse 7, we know who this judge is. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. He knew that his brother would come back in power and triumph, and he knew that when he returns, he would be the judge of all humanity. James knew that his half-brother Jesus would be the judge of the living and the dead, and the judge of you. You will one day stand in judgment before Jesus Christ. It goes on in chapter 5, verse 20, to say this, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. How do we we help other people? We bring them back from their wanderings of sin and we bring them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because this is the only way their souls can be saved. This is what James is preaching to us. He's preaching that if you don't believe my brother is the Lord of glory and entrust your soul to him and turn from your life of sin, you'll never be saved. We have to start faith in that crisis. Now, some of you maybe are unconvinced. Maybe you have never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you have never surrendered your everything in His presence. One strong, powerful proof, one reason that I would challenge you to consider for trusting Christ as Savior is His own brothers didn't believe it and then they were convinced. His own biological brothers who knew him and thought he was crazy, after he died and rose again, were convinced. So convinced that James died a martyr's death, he let men, Pharisees and scribes, heave boulders at his head until his skull was crushed and he died in a bloody pool on the ground rather than renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. Try and convince one of your siblings that you're the Lord of Heaven. After you stage your own death, then try and get two of them to buy it. Well, people are gullible. People fall for stuff all the time. Yeah, you know your siblings. Will one of your siblings be able to convince you that they are the ruler of the universe? I don't think so. It's a strong proof that Jesus' own brothers believed it was true. They couldn't be duped. And one of them, at least that we know of, died because... He wouldn't let go of this truth. We know that he didn't believe, James was a non-believer because in John 7, 5, it said not even his brothers believed him. But we know that James humbled himself and became a slave, a servant, a table waiter of Christ. What was it like to be the younger brother of Jesus? Maybe you have older brothers. Maybe you wish you didn't. The last thing a younger brother wants is an older brother who rules the universe. Imagine the Charlie horse Jesus could have given James if he really wanted to. What was it like living in the same house as Jesus? He never did anything wrong. You think your older siblings got more love on Christmas from time to time? James' older brother invented Christmas. (laughs) Mary had to play favorites or she couldn't get into heaven. She had to love Jesus above all. No chance at beating out older brother for the favorite in the family. What was that like? How would you feel if your older brother was named by an angel? If wise men from far away had brought boxes of gold for your older brother? And all along, you didn't even believe it all. James would have known the humanity of Jesus like no one else. Think of the meals they had together several times a day. They didn't have bedrooms back then. They all slept in the same area. They would travel together on foot. Imagine them sweating together out in the heat, building things together with Dad, playing as children. James knew the humanity of Jesus. And at no point did the brothers kind of look at Jesus like, something's wrong with you. Like suspecting that he's anything less than totally human. They weren't like, poke him, poke him. I think he's an alien. He's weird. He was just human to them. I imagine there were times when James, though, found Jesus at his side, perhaps when James was most in need or the family was most in need. And I would imagine there was something inside of James that felt there, were, there was heavenly help standing right beside him. I imagine later on when it dawned on him who his brother was, I wonder if he sat deep in thought, reflecting that the source of his own existence was sleeping right next to him throughout his entire life. And then when he realized his part in God's plan, what a special great honor to be able to go ahead of his brother, the Lord of the universe, and tell others about him with confidence. Hey, believe Jesus is the Lord of glory and your soul will be saved. Then, number two, write this down. James's message is this. Walk by this faith through all the trials of this world. Have this faith, and then walk by this faith through all the trials of the world. If you don't have it, you can't walk in it. If you don't have Christ, you have no hope of finding out the purpose of the pain for this life. You have to have faith in order to walk in it. But then you walk by faith through all the trials of this life. Look at verse 2 again. We'll study this next week, but it says again, count it all joy, my brothers. This sounds like a happy verse. Joy. Oh, all right. What shall bring me this joy when you meet trials? Wait a minute. I don't like the middle of this verse. I like the beginning. I don't like the middle. Trials of various kinds. That means there's going to be more than one. That's even worse. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I don't like that either. Steadfastness means the trial doesn't go away quickly. So I'm supposed to be happy, and there's more than one trial, and they're not going to go away very quickly. Let's pick another book. What does it mean to walk by faith? Well, we have to know some things. We have to know that there will be trials. Don't be surprised when the pain comes. We have to know that they will be a variety of kinds. The the word means many colors. They will come from different parts of your life, different people in your life, But they have a purpose, a divine purpose. It says the testing of your faith, test trials test your faith. The testing of your faith produces something. The hard road teaches you things the short road can't. We know that. We just don't want to admit that. The lessons learned on the hard road can't be learned on the easy road. We know that. We just don't like that. James is an honest book. He's a down-to-earth voice for those who are walking through dusty streets of life. His audience is actually, he says in verse 1, the 12 tribes and the dispersion. That's Old Testament language. There were 12 tribes. you Remember the patriarchs, right? Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then the kids that came from them were the 12 patriarchs, which became the 12 tribes. Israel was actually... Uh, geographically laid out according to your lineage. So what tribe you were a part of, that's generally where you lived, and that's where your territory was. So the 12 tribes here are portrayed as being scattered among the nations. Um, and there were times in the Old Testament where the tribes weren't all together. They were living scattered, and they were wandering through the wilderness. And that imagery, he draws from that imagery to describe the church in his day. Because the Jewish believers had been scattered from Jerusalem by persecution, famine, famine. Uh, they, had, they were poor, they were refugees and immigrants in the countries all around, and the world was stacked against them. He primarily writes to Jewish believers, but there would have been Gentiles in his audience. He writes around the 40s. Um, we don't know exactly, maybe late 40s. It could have been later, they don't know, but it, it could have been the late 40s. Some people date this book into the early 60s, we don't exactly know because he doesn't state the context or the destination for this letter. But given what was going on in the world there, it was probably at late 40s, between then and early 60s. And here he's talking to people who are lower class, having a hard go of it. And he shares with them what it means to have faith in Christ their Messiah. He lays out six primary areas of trial that will come your way. There are more, but he seems to come back to these six. And if you know that you'll face pressure and pain from these six areas, then you can prepare for it. Jot this down. James tells us that your faith will be tested and strengthened by sickness. He covers physical illness and weakness. He talks about that. He talks about the physical pain that can come when we suddenly are hit with a trial in that area. Our pastors make hospital visits all the time. So often people wake up in the morning never expecting to end up in the hospital. And we visit people noon, 2, 5 pm. They didn't think they'd be in the hospital that day, but it happens, it comes out of nowhere. And we visit other people who are in the middle of an extended trial, and maybe this hospital visit is just the next one. and there is, there's a seemingly endless series of treatments and setbacks and news and appointments, one after the other. Trials with your health can come out of nowhere and end quickly, or they can come slowly and stay over time. In eighth grade, I woke up one morning and I couldn't stand up. I got out of bed and I went to stand up and instantly I felt like I was just going to lose it. So I went like this and I tried again and I could not stand up so i walked into my mom's bedroom (laughs) mom what i can't stand up what do you mean you can't stand up stand up i can't stand up i will instantly throw up what are you talking about stand up i can't stand up so i had to go to the doctor like this walk into the doctor like this sit down with my head down like this i walk into the doctor he's like stand up i can't stand up after a few tests and pokes and prods he's like you're going right to the hospital it was a right to the hospital moment and they were spooked, they, they ran all of these tests, tested me for cancer, tested me for everything, didn't tell my parents what they were testing me for, they didn't know what it was. I was in the hospital for a week, came out of nowhere, and thankfully they think at the end of the week that it was just a really nasty virus, and who knows if they did something to help prevent what, it, what could have happened, but all I know is I woke up and I could not stand up. Out of nowhere, there goes a week of my life. I shared with you a few years ago when I scratched my eye so bad that it got infected with two types of bacteria, excruciating pain. Light felt, light felt like hot pokers going into my eyeball. And then on top of it, I had an allergic reaction to some of the things they were putting in my eye to help. I had to wear an eye patch like a pirate for like a whole month. And when I, So I ended up going, to, this isn't the way I thought the day would start, couldn't sleep all night. Three doctors, same day, ended up with a specialist, he gave me eye drops, and then he gave me his cell phone number on a piece of paper and said, call me if it's not working. What do you mean not working? Like if you begin to lose sight? Lose sight? What are you talking about? I found out later they thought my eye had MRSA that was eating into, "Ah!" took three months, but they got it all cleared up. Hey, has your faith been tested by physical trials? Are you in the furnace right now? Do you have the fog of confusion that comes when you're trying to get answers of what is going on? Are you experiencing the fear of things getting worse? Are you stuck in the fatigue of treatment that seems like it will never end? James is going to speak to you. God is going to speak to you. Your faith will be tested and strengthened by sickness. Jot this down, your faith will be tested and strengthened by money. James brings up money a lot because he speaks to mainly poor people that are in his audience, but then there are a few wealthy, and their relationships uh, are complicated in the church. He also knows that it's very easy for, um, for these people in, to get exploited. Many of these folks were perhaps in James's church in Jerusalem, and then they got scattered around, and so they would receive this letter almost as like, you know, a, a sermon from their former pastor. The book of James has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. He covers so many topics, one after the other, and they think that it was his sermons to people that were actually then put down into written form, and now it's like a a book of wisdom literature. So you can almost hear his voice as he's saying this to people who know him and love him. And he's reminding people who are having a hard time financially that this is a test of your faith, not to give up. Your faith will be tested and strengthened by money, whether you have too much or too little. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe your taxes have gone up. Maybe your retirement has taken a hit. Maybe your car has died. Some of us in this room are living paycheck to paycheck. Others are already months behind on some bills. And it's getting heavier and heavier. For some of us, retirement just keeps getting pushed back farther. Money. Maybe this is the fight in your marriage. Money. Is your faith being tested by money? Are you worrying about it? Maybe not. Maybe life is good. Maybe honestly you would say, I'm in a great place. I don't have many worries where things have turned out better than I thought. Business is booming. The Bible says that is one of the hardest tests to pass. Don't think that you are out from the exam chair. You are in it. And many men, godly men in the Old Testament, passed the hard tests of suffering, failed the test of prosperity. David could take the giant out on the battlefield, but you put him in a palace and give him nothing to worry about? And he ruins his family with Bathsheba. He failed the palace, as did many other godly men. You will be tested and strengthened by having too much money and by having too little. Are you ready for that? Do you know God is at work in your heart through money? Well, James is going to talk to us about that. Write this down, number three. Your faith will be tested and strengthened by conflict. Conflict shows that you are a true child of God or not. And conflict strengthens your faith. Other people become problematic. Maybe you would say that you could give me the name of the person who is making it so hard for you to be the Christian you know you're supposed to be. Maybe they live in the same house as you. Maybe they're one of your kids. Who knows? Maybe it's a sister. Maybe it's a coworker or a boss. And I would be doing great on the road of faith if that person wasn't ruining it. Yeah, but what's really happening is that person is showing you a mirror into your own soul. You can't blame them for the challenges that you face. They are just hunting it out of you. And when we studied the teachings of Christ, we found out that if you don't love your enemy, you become your enemy. Just give your enemy a call and say, enemy, I've been so inspired by you. Your ways have moved me. I'm now going to act just like you. You don't want that to happen. So it's a challenge to bite your tongue. It's a challenge to rein in your temper. It's a challenge to be gracious to someone who is so mean or ungrateful. Think of Moses. What a hero! He leads millions of people out of slavery on the way to the promised land and they hate him. They're grumbling. They want to kill him at times. We don't have enough food. Who put this guy in charge of us? We need to vote. We need to kill him. And we need to go back to Egypt. No wonder he struck the rock. So angry. You've got some people you want to hit. I could just hit him once feels so good. Maybe I'm the only one. Your faith will be tested and strengthened by conflict. Conflict with others will prove and test and grow your faith. At home, at school, at work. People who make it hard for you to be godly are helping you be godly. Jot this down next. Your faith will be tested and strengthened by words. Words is another topic that keeps coming up time and again in James. Uh, Not just the words you use, but the words other use towards you. A lot of pain in your life will come from what people say or what they don't say. And there could be wounds you have from your childhood over things you heard and you've never let go of. Or maybe you could be haunted by things you've said and can't take back. Uh, But the Bible... (laughs) says so many things about the power of the tongue to ruin our lives. It says later in the book of James that it can set your entire world on fire, and it can be set on fire by the pit of hell itself. That's how serious we have to be about making sure that we put a guard on our mouth. Our words can ruin us. Have you been watching any of the debates? You know the election's coming up, and boy, we hang on every word those politicians say, don't we? So last week, Jeb Bush got in a lot of trouble because, you know, he's been accused of being dull and uninspiring, you know, kind of George uh, Bush light, you know, he's just kind of, and so he's got this reputation and then at one of his rallies, he tries to rally the crowd and they really don't respond and, you know, did you hear what he said? Please clap. clap. (laughs) Oh, he wishes he could take that back. That's all they now need to say, yep. That's going to be the presidency. He's going to get as excited as he can, and you're not. And he's going to say, please clap. He can't take it back. He can't take it back. Your words will haunt you. Your words will follow you. And the words that other, others use, they'll harm you. There will be pain that comes from words. And so James is going to talk to us about the trial of words. Here's the next one. Jot this down. Your faith will be tested and strengthened by love love. What I mean by this is there will be times when you need love from others and you will have to choose. Will you allow that or will you reject that you need others? Will you be too proud to ask for help? There will be times when you need love from God's church. You can't get through it alone. That's a trial. Depending on others is a trial. And when you look around, there will be people in your life who will have a great need for your love. James has, even though he's a truth guy, he has an eye on the widow and the orphan and the servant who's being oppressed by the rich. He has an eye on the sick and the suffering. He has an eye on them. He has a loving eye on them. And are we going to see them? Are we going to see them? And are we going to act in love to help these people? Well, I've got my problems of my own. I don't have time to help people like that. I don't... Are we going to see the need and are we going to pass the test of love and show the love of Christ to those in the church and in the world who need us most? It's going to be a trial. Lovelessness is something Jesus indicted churches on. You have lost your former love. It's a trial, learning to love one another. Here's the last one. Your faith will be tested by money, conflict, words, love, sickness, and write this down, time. James talks a lot about time. The future sometimes he talks about time as if it's standing still what do I do when I'm enduring a trial sometimes he talks about time as if it's fleeting away fast forward and you'll be gone before you know it but he talks about time your faith will be tested and strengthened by time when God says wait we immediately say how long when God says not yet we don't like his answer Is God making you wait for something right now? Is God making you wait for something you need right now? Has He been making you wait for too long? You see, time can actually complicate and amplify any one of these other trials. Sickness plus time can be even worse. Conflict plus it's not going away anytime soon, makes it harder. Time can be a problem. When God intentionally allows the pain to stay, the process to drag out, how do we process this? Well, it says in verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. We have to stay under it. We have to stay under it. If we run, if we leave, if we sin to get out of it, if we short-circuit it, if we strike back, we will lose all of the gold that God wants to pour into our soul through that trial. If we refuse to allow God to bring us to the indignity of such humiliation, we won't learn the lesson and we'll never grow up in faith. Life has to get hard for faith to get strong. And God promises to reward it. Listen, at the beginning and the end of the book of James, God invites us into his presence to process all the pain of this world. It says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Then it says in chapter 5, verse 13, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Let him pray. Let me challenge you here as we end the beginning of this series, bring all of your pain into God's presence. And look around your life. Who is it in your life that is going through a trial right now that needs this series? Who is hurting through relational conflict, through physical illness, through financial problems? God can get his message through to them like never before. Next Sunday, is bring a friend Sunday. But I want you to invite three people who are having a hard go of it. And I want you to call them and I want you to tell them, hey, listen, you'll never believe it. My pastor's starting a new sermon series. It's on the book of James. Listen, it's called Faith in the Fire, God's Plan for My Pain. And I just think maybe this could really bless you. They will listen Send him an email. Send him a text. But I want you to invite people who have big problems right now. Don't go for the friend who seems like everything's going right right now. Forget him. Go for the person who just had a house fall on him. All right? Don't go for your sister who thinks she's all perfect and, you know, nothing's going wrong. Yeah, her time will come. Go for the person who just wiped out in life and they don't know how it's going to come together. Invite that person and then model for them that you're bringing your pain into God's presence. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have a plan for our pain. Thank you, O oh Lord, that you promise to reward us when we remain steadfast in the trial. And I just ask that over the next 40 weeks, Lord, as we think about every area of life and your plan for that area, bring strength and joy. Bring joy. Bring joy. We need you to do it. And give us, O Lord, the favor of those who we will invite to church. Draw many next week who need to hear this life-changing message. We commit this series to you in Jesus' name. Amen.